Welcome to the Tone That Made Us podcast. I'm your host, James, and to my right is my co-host, Dan Cav. We do this podcast because we love gear. We love to figure out the gear that made up the tone, that made up the songs that we love, that inspired us, that inspired generations, uh, sometimes only inspired our circle of friends, and that's good enough as well. Uh, the other reason why we do this is because our wives just can't stand hearing us talk about fucking gear all the time yeah. when we're all together. So at least we can get it out of our systems once a week doing these podcasts. So today's guest is a really important one for me uh, and for Dan. Our friendships go back, God, 30 years, 25 years, whatever it is. Um, we've hit the road together. We've done shows together. Uh, he managed one of my bands at one point. We had a blast. Um, he's currently playing in Suicidal Tendencies, which is a dream for guys our age. And uh, everybody probably knows him better as Ben Weinman from the Dillinger Escape Plan. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Nice to see you guys. So we're going to start this podcast the way we start them all which is we all remember maybe the first band we saw that made us want to pick up a guitar or play drums or whatever our first instrument was. But what was the first time an instrument drew you in to go, oh my God, I want to play that? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, probably Jimi Hendrix. You know, if we're talking purely like wanting to pick up a guitar and just wail on it. Uh, yeah, I'd say Jimi Hendrix. So, so a Strat? An upside yeah, down, first, backward Strat, huh? Well, not upside down, but my first guitar was a Strat and a little Fender um, with a little reverb tank, a little kind of combo came together. And I actually just repaired that little Fender amp a week ago. So I had my Still first have amp it. back. Sounds sounds awesome. It's oh cool. no shit! You still have it. What yeah. model is it? What the hell was it? I don't even know the name of it. It's like a little single reverb. You know what I mean? I don't yeah, know. Like, which, I can't remember which model it's on. Where Where'd you get it? What's the story behind you getting your first guitar now? I think the store is called Long McQuaid. When they used uh, to be in Jersey, yeah, they're just a Canadian company now. But that's right. Remember. There used to be one in North Jersey. Actually, this guy, Billy Mack, that I used to work with at Guitar Center years ago, used to work at uh -huh. that store. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it was that place. Yeah, and it was, you know, I used my bar mitzvah money. And I, <laughs> I went and bought the, the Fender. And, the, and, it was, and it was a Squire, you know, but it was cool. I, it was, I, I saw pictures of me holding it, and I looked so little, you know, because as far as it's a man's guitar, you know. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So um, when, so you were playing, you said your bar mitzvah money, so probably 13, 14 years old, then yeah. did you play that gear in your first band or what did you, how, how did you sort of segue and evolve your gear into playing in, in your first band? Right. So I did use that guitar for my first band, which was like cover bands with my friends. We play like church lock-ins and like the county fair or whatever. Um, and I did use that guitar. Eventually, um, we needed gear, like a little louder gear. And um, we obtained a small PA speaker. I'm not going to get into how. Yeah. And um, and then I got like this really crappy crepe head. And uh, I put it on top of the PA speaker. And that was my rig for a while. Nice. Um, I think we've right. all pulled that off at one time or another. It was either the crate head or the or the the PV butcher on top of a PA bin. Right. Totally. Yeah. And um, and then and then I had um, a friend gave me a guitar. He didn't play, but he like his sister gave it to him, or someone owed him the money and gave him the guitar instead. And I kind of used that as my first guitar in Dillinger. Then that broke, and I got a guitar that was hanging over a bar that said Michelob on it and it wasn't even like the action was horrible and I spray painted it silver and that was my second Dillinger escape. I mean it was pathetic and I didn't own a 
I, I didn't own a guitar head um, for the first couple months of the Dillinger Escape. I borrowed. I remember asking Vic from 108 if I could borrow his Mach 4 to play. I was like, can I just borrow that thing? He's like, uh, not really. <laughs> That's great. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I didn't have shit, you know? I didn't have shit. Well, and, and the thing is, Dillinger kind of growing out of, you know, I mean, really kind of being your first real quote unquote band. Uh, it's not yeah. like you guys signed to like some big label and got a big budget. So when you finally did put together the funds to buy new gear, um, what like what was your first head at that point? Um. Well, first I had gotten like, well, first I had that, that, um, solid state Ampeg, um, that everyone was using. You remember? Yeah, I do. Like, like one, 140, something like that. 140C or something. 140C. Yeah. Yeah. The solid yeah. state. I, I got that because like all the heavy, heavy bands were using that, like Jesuit and like, uh, the heavy bands were using it, you know? And somehow people managed to get it pretty loud as a solid state, but I have it. I'm going to fire it up. I found it. You still uh, have in my basement. I have That's it. Great. I think the input jack needs to be fixed. But that was like the only solid state head that sounded so good back then. Like, you know, I'd get crates and all that stuff. But like that thing, I remember people, it, it sounded just so dirty and, and yeah. gross and cool. That wasn't uh, the one with the key on the front, was it? No. Remember Ampeg had those those heads? Yeah. Had, I think it was yeah. probably the tube version of the 140C, I think. Oh, man, I'd like to get I don't think I've ever heard that. Um, and then I had one of those ADA rack mount, um, had, uh, like kind of guitar preamps yep. with, a cr with a crown power amp. Um, Monster. And, you know, that's what Metallica used in the beginning. And it had like chorus and stuff on it, like weird chorus. And, yeah. um, and I remember using that for, in the studio for the first Dillinger stuff. <clears throat> and they would break all the time. They weren't really world worthy. So you'd have to go on like eBay and find them because um, they weren't making them anymore. And then I got the um, tri-axis. So I was still in the rack mode. Yeah. So that's about the time when we started hanging out. So I, I remember right. the tri-ax. Yeah. And uh, then it was like, okay, now it's getting out of hand. For someone like me who wasn't really good with gear, like having all those cables and all those <laughs> bullshit was bad. And what was broke? Million cables. But, and then finally, I just went to the triple, uh, triple uh, rectifier and just yeah. went ahead and never yep. turned back. And, so. Yeah. It wasn't just uh, that they weren't roadworthy, but you guys also tended to knock your shit over pretty often. Yeah, like 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 carrying around a whole rack for for a band like us was just not practical. We were not yeah. like one of those. We, we were not Symphony X, you know. We weren't like. <laughs> <laughs> Shout we out to Mike Pinella. <laughs> yeah, Mike Romeo. Yeah, and Mike Romeo, the Mike and Mike. Wow, that's funny. Yeah. Nice Symphony X reference. That rules. Yeah, those guys definitely had their gear dialed in. They were kind of the the standard when it came to what we all hoped we we could be professionally, I think. I mean, yeah, well, I can say this. Um, for Calculating Infinity, the first Dillinger album, we had so little money. I mean, we did the whole album to tape in like two weeks. Mm. Um, and we ran out of time and we ran out of like tape. And so we ended up going to Mike Romeo's home studio uh, and continuing do, doing leads, adding the leads via ADAT. No kidding. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was the digital that we at, at that back then it was ADAT. So then we, you know, brought it in to the computer and blended it with the, you know, threw it on top of the, Hey, but having to do leads in front of Mike Romeo was the most intimidating. I'm like, please don't, please leave the room. Please. <laughs> no idea what I'm doing. No idea what I'm doing. And you're like, goddamn prodigies. Like, like dude's insane. He's like, 
he 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 like transposed Star Wars backwards on a guitar or something, tying weird themes. I mean, he's like. <laughs> They were all serious players. And it's funny because I I remember working with Mike P and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I I had taken over that store and he was, he was, you know, my keyboard manager and, you know, just some like long hair Jersey metal dude. And I didn't connect who that's who it was. And he's like, yeah, he's like, well, just so you know, I need Sundays off because I play at my church. I said, okay. And he goes, uh, and I take a month off every summer. And I'm like, oh, here we go, prima donna. He's like, because basically I go to Europe, we tour Europe for a month, and I'm able to pay my bills for the year. And, you know, I said, oh, what? I said, who do you play with? And then he goes, oh, we're a bit, you know, a prog band called Symphony X. I was like, holy shit, of course I know who you guys are. Yeah. But unless you're wearing a cape and you're Rick Wakeman, nobody really pays attention to the keyboard player. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess the Dream Theater crowd. I don't know. But uh, so when you were running that Triax, you were actually you you had one of those super heavy. I I tend to remember you had a really heavy duty boogie power amp also. Yeah. Well, there was this. It was the Simul five hundred. Is that it? Yeah, it was uh, like that, all yeah. I remember is that thing was fucking heavy. It was the Simul 290, which was perfectly adequate and what the show should have had, but then we had the, the double set, um, both Brian and me. And yeah. It was nuts, yeah. I remember, but I remember what we did. We would sometimes just fly, if we did a fly gig or something, or we would just bring one and split it between the two of us. It was so loud. So that was, that was convenient. But. <laughs> Well, I, I, we may be jumping ahead, but, and uh, I'm sorry, I'll let Dan jump in. I'd like to know your guys' thoughts on all that gear, as gear guys, like that I just mentioned between the, the tri-axis and all that stuff, like your, well, your thoughts on all that. My, my thought, pro- especially when when we all started playing and we all had this stuff we started out with, obviously, and it was more a matter of, we're at that age where we didn't have the availability and the opportunities that kids do now. Like you could buy a Squire now for $300. That's better than the fenders I was buying when I was a kid. Just, you know, like if you weren't paying top dollar, you weren't getting great stuff when we were younger. That's just the, that's what was available to us. Um, You know, garage sale finds, whatever we, whatever we would buy. Uh, Right. My whole thing has always been, I never, I always liked gear but I don't care about gear. Like as far as if it works, it's playable. Uh, I liked, sure, I like yeah. to make fun of stuff that James had just cause I like making fun of him. <laughs> but beyond that, if, if it worked and sounded decent, it kind of doesn't matter. I like the exploration of knowing what people started with and how they ended up going where they're going. I remember when you were yeah. using the rack gear. Um, my question for you is, uh, and not to change from our opinion to yours, but you're the you're the guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what 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 brought you to the triple rec, uh, and why not the dual rec? It was something in particular. Or was it just the opportunity to get it? Well, for one, it was simplicity. Like I realized I needed to go simpler. At that time, everyone was going more difficult. They were go, you know, it was the version of basically the simulator amps now, where you have a billion options. There was more options, but I realized like for what we were doing, we needed simplicity. We need to plug in. It needed to work. Like you just said, if it works, then it's great. And so I went to the triple rec because that's basically the sound I was using in the triaxis, but I didn't use the dual rec because I needed three channels and that, you know, I so think there it. were some yeah. channel tools, but, um, but yeah, it was traditionally the triple rectifiers that had the three channels and I needed like a clean, a dirty and a heavy distorted. So that's how I was using it. Cool. Yeah. yeah I, would, I was just curious why the, why the triple rec as opposed to some people, yeah. they talk about, Oh, there was the dual rec revision F and revision G. And for me, it was always, there were dual recs that I thought sounded good. Dual recs. I thought didn't triple recs. Absolutely. The thing with the dual rec, yeah, there were, they, there were some that sounded like better than any triple. And then there were some that were like, eh. yeah, for me, it was a lot of, uh, that, and that's why I asked because especially at that time frame, it was a lot of people just figuring out which rectifier they liked and why they liked that yeah. particular one. Yeah, and then you had people like Vic from 108 and stuff using the Mark 
four, which was a whole nother animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure he had like the combo amp. He did for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And then I ended up using Mark fives towards the end of Dillinger. Oh, did you? I oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize yeah. you went to Mark fives. Yeah. Well, actually that kind of makes sense. Cause if you listen to the progression of Dillinger's music, it got less saturated. It got more tone driven, right? We realized mm -hmm. you can get the same intensity by layering than yeah. just turning the gain up to 10 and, you know, and going balls out. And you guys definitely changed your tone, not the playing, but the tone. Yeah. And that yeah, gave, no, that we, gave we, the music a whole lot. Yeah, we definitely found that clarity and uh, our our wrists had a more violent, less gain because it was more of tack. It was more intentional. Uh, it was more percussive. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like we definitely lower. We definitely use a little less gain than most heavy bands and layered. And um, often would use a direct um, signal on top to even make it more punchy, even more um, sharp. And 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 you know, we wanted our wrists to sound like someone stabbing you with a knife. You know, <laughs> like shanking you you know and, and so we didn't need it to sound heavy and it wasn't always about heavy it was about the riff it was about the intention it was about the energy and the dynamics of emotion so yeah we definitely found that lower gain and more layers and just playing really really tight and together was way more aggressive for us and the kind of music we were playing yeah and i think you definitely achieved it more options it had really great reverb it had a, like an EQ on it section. You could turn on and off on every channel. It had different, um, uh, you could do it a, um, I think, it, what is it? You could do different uh, ohms on it, which was cool for every channel. And um, it was super diverse. It, it, you know, it started getting, it started going back to a little more complicated, but it was still right. basically a, a tube air, yeah. you know. You know, you never really uncomplicated because you kind of did. You, you uncomplicated yourself from the rack gear to the triple rack. I was a bad influence about 20 years ago. You really were. <laughs> Having a friend who runs a music store was nah. bad. Yeah. To the point where it, it drove Brian Benoit to become a guitar salesman in the store because yeah. he needed to support his habit of gear. Of buying gear. <laughs> he also wanted to see what came in first, you know, like the new stuff, the gear, oh, the new yeah. stuff. So let's talk about the ill-fated Rivera, Steve Lukather powered subwoofer guitar cabinets. Because of course, Ben tried to simplify his sound Mm -hmm. And and then these powered fifty. It's it was two twelves and a fifteen, and the fifteen mm -hmm. was powered. And mm -hmm. the Rivera head had a sub out, but I think we were just taking like a just any out. I think it must have been like a an effects loop out or something because we just want, you guys wanted that bottom yeah. on the stage, dude. I mean Benoit would always try new stuff like all the time. Always. I, I would just want a simple. If it worked, if it sounded good, I just want simple. My fear every night was that I was going to turn the switch on and nothing came out. Like that was my nightmare. You know, when people have the nightmare, like they show up for school without their homework, whatever. Mine was like every night, like I'm going to turn it on. It's nothing's coming out. <laughs> and that often happened, but. It certainly did. Yeah. So you still have a, I mean, you kind of talking, you still have the very first amp you ever owned. So yeah. do you, I mean, it sounds like you still have a pretty good collection of gear. I have a couple really cool, really good rectifiers when I have two Mark fives. Um, and I still have that Ampeg that, from back then. I have um, the Fender from back, you know, what else do I have? Um, yeah, I have a couple Mesa stuff. You know what I also have? I also, when Mesa started making those mini heads, yeah. they always let me tr like try them out. They'd send me, so I have like the mini rectifier and then I have the mini Mark V. Oh. I've wanted one of those for a while. It's sweet. And it has a direct out, so you can go right out into, you know, 
into your interface to, without a speaker. It's got a speaker simulator on it, and it's got it, it's so badass. I um brought that to Australia with me on the plane like this, and um, on. played. We we played with System of a Down in front of like ten thousand people with that. You know, like nice. Very cool. Uh, a, how how the, close uh, is it to your how close is it to your real Mark Five? Um, it's it's different. I mean, it's um, it, you have to adjust the volume to get the tone right more. You know, it's obviously a much quieter head, but um, having the option of of the direct out so the sound guy can just use that as well. And then you have you could just use that and and with and just have monitors. You don't even need a speaker. Mm. You don't even need a cab. So um, it's not. It certainly doesn't sound as good, but it was good enough to play that show and sound pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What uh yeah. is it? The Mark Five? What is it? Mark Five Twenty Five or Thirty Five? You remember? I'm just curious. I just knowing that one of those heads played in front of that they, amount of people. Do, do they have any options? I think there's a 25 and a 35. Oh, really? Not great. I was just curious. Uh, it's probably a 35. I don't remember. It was just the first one they made. So, did you have a? So when you when you were going through your change from the rack mount gear to the triple racks and all, what what kind of cabinets were you using? Were cabinets critical to you? Did you have a, a speaker preference besides I, the powered Lukather cabinet yeah. that we've already mentioned? Um, <laughs> yeah, different different heads. You know my. One of my favorite tones that I got was a triple rectifier and a, and a Bogner speaker, a Bogner cabinet. I don't know why that combination. And uh, I was just borrowing the Bogner cabinet, but that was awesome. Um, I liked old Marshalls with, I, with, you know, I was endorsed by Mesa, but I really like typically would like to use a Marshall. I'd have a couple cabs on stage sometimes, but usually mic up the Marshall. Um, right. And the Mesa would always sound huge, like off stage and great, but um, I felt there was more control over the just traditional yeah. slash. I think that I think a lot of people did that same combination that yeah. the, the Mesa heads with the with the older Marshall cabs. Yeah, uh, we would see that all the time, and vice versa a lot too. I would I would see a lot of a lot of guys playing 800 heads yeah. with the Mesa oversized cabinets. Yeah, they I always heavy, found that man. to be a big uh, a popular combination as well. Yeah, well, I think they kind of. You kind of needed that with the boogie head. You kind of needed those really tight Celestian seventy fives, right? Um, to to handle it, and then the other way around. Chances are the boogie cab that you had probably had the thirties. Had yeah, their had the version of the V thirty. So it just yeah. it, it works better with a Marshall. Um, right. I ended up finding a Marshall cabinet uh, that I have a JCM eight hundred series mm -hmm. cabinet. Cool. But it's got 65 watt speakers. It was it was a Marshall base cabinet. Oh, or 12s, and it's kind of got that that perfect mix of tight and and loose. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It sounds good, huh? Yeah, it's pretty fun. And actually, funny enough, I used to play my orange through the Marshall cabinet. Interesting. I used to play my Marshall JMP through my orange cabinet. You know what else I I used a lot, um, which I still have. Those the Mesa, I had a Mesa two by twelve uh, half back open back. The metal grate, um, the mark, uh, like with the metal series. grate in front, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I've been on like the hunt those, for those for a while. Yeah, they discontinued them, right? But yeah. Yeah, uh, ages yeah. ago, with the shadow yeah. shadow nineties or whatever the speaker yeah. was. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, those so are I, those are phenomenal cabs. Really cool. So I I I, I try different things. It's nice. Awesome. Yeah, I think you know it's uh, and that was one of the things I was hoping would kind of come out in this episode, you know, Dillinger is kind of known as this, you know, just wild sounding band and you guys wrote very technical things and your tone, the, the one thing I wanted to make sure got across is your tone was intentional. You, you guys never did anything fly by the seat of your pants. You guys were anal about, the present for everything from the presentation, from the samples, from the you know how you guys wanted to have your music come across, and and that came from from 
tons of time in Randolph, New Jersey, in yeah. that rehearsal space. Yeah, really yeah. Working through your tones, your patches, your effects that you guys were patches when it was the ADA, but yeah, you know, later on the effects in your pedal boards because you guys did use pedal boards and god if you look at kevin's pedal board yeah. towards the end of dillinger it was like yeah. you know it was a palette it looked yeah like. it's funny because kevin started as like one of those line six guys head guys and turned into a completely analog you know head of collector and pedal i mean i've never seen anyone with more boutique guitar heads that's if you want to go yes, to a studio that's a and have great options, collection yeah. It's amazing. Totally. We got to have him on too. Yeah. He's a great guy to talk about gear with. Um, he's got that amazing switching system where he basically yep. uses his like 40 boutique class A heads, like, like a preamp where you can just pick the instantly yeah. pick a different head and just, you know, travel um, with a USB stick. <laughs> yeah. I but, loved sitting uh, in that room. Uh, uh, when we rehearsed there, I, I loved, uh, yeah. Just popping in there and staring at all of it. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's, it's um, a great. It's not just that it's a large collection. It's just like, it's like a perfect collection of amps. Yeah, it's everything you need. All the hits every tone, are there. Yeah. Every tone you ever need, you know. But I have to say the um, a lot of that like samples and like that that like Chris Penny was definitely a huge part of that because I was a mess. Like I can't take credit for that. I would definitely be into like going to Home Depot and buying lights and making these concoctions that would oh, yeah. just be wild and punk. But for the technical, like, you know, having the samples right when they need and how to trigger them and how to, that, that was all Chris, man. You know, Chris was, uh, I've never seen, he's a machine and I don't just mean his playing, right? You can see the guy play and you're like, holy shit, this guy's a yeah. machine. But knowing him, as a friend and knowing you guys as you were developing into what became a band bigger than any of us could have expected, you know, that a band that plays that kind of music would be. Um, Chris, he lived, breathed, thought, blinked music. He Absolutely. Would, Not just drums, music. Music. I mean, yeah. I sometimes he'd stay over my place in, uh, in Milltown and I'd hear him wake up in the morning and he'd have his drumsticks on his drum pad on his knee. The yep. second he woke up, he woke, okay. excuse me, he woke up okay. and he would, we would play for a couple hours and, you know, he was gracious enough to suffer my bullshit emo indie shit that I was writing. Oh. Um, and then he'd go and he'd either teach lessons all day or go into the studio himself and practice all day. Then you all guys day. would practice for hours and then he'd work on samples and programming mm -hmm. and all sorts of shit until three, four in the morning. I, I, didn't, I, I don't think Absolutely. I ever knew anybody with that kind of work ethic. Me neither. Well, and you guys all had that. You, I think we all had, had different, different job, you know, different roles. Like, um, I think he didn't understand, you know, some of the, some of the um, conflict I think was that I was the guy who like was, going to shows and making flyers at Kinko's and like hanging out with people and meeting contacts, booking shows on pay phones with the dialer, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, and I wasn't sitting playing my guitar all day. I was kind of like, give me that fucking thing. Let's play a show. Right. You know, I was just more like, uh, yeah, I was much less like guy sitting, you know, all day. And he was the guy who was sitting all day being the phenom. That, that was so I think it was a nice combination it was although it might have created some tension because I wasn't always around playing I was out like doing the business I, I think it was a great uh a great combo really it totally it's a was. necessary role yeah it is and I think with maturity you know if, if we were talking before we got on ladies and gentlemen who are listening, um, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, Ben and Dan and myself were all, you know, 40, 40 plus years old before we started having children. And we were saying we'd never be able to have mm -hmm. the, um, the patience, right. That we would have had. Could you imagine going back to the bands that we were in or you were in, or Dan and I were in yeah. 30 years ago in the nineties and, and like have the maturity, maturity of what we have now. 
<laughs> it would be a totally different animal. We would treat each other better. We would understand better. We'd have more patience. We would be more honest about what we want, and what we don't. We would yeah, be less all of it. less defensive. We'd be less offended. <laughs> Everything, you know, like completely. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, because we look back and appreciate um, the the times that we missed because we were so stubborn and yeah and dumb and my so ben said something a little bit earlier now we're going to talk about breaking gear um ben said something a second ago where he said just give me that thing and let's play the show mm -hmm. so i remember meeting up with you guys in pomona at the glass house and uh <laughs> and and I'm hanging out at the front of the stage right before you guys go on and there's a kid sitting on the corner of the stage and I go hey bro you may want to move because when the show starts like you know they come out hard oh no I've seen him before I know I know I went okay and legit first note Ben's pointy headstock slashes the top of this guy's head. I think the statute of limitations is is over, so I don't think he can sue you over this. Okay, good. Because and I was still he, getting sued like a year after Dillinger was done. So no, this like, was like this was 20 years ago. Okay. So the dude I you mean scalp him. <laughs> you scalped him. You scalped him guitar him, completely out of tune. The guy took his sweatshirt off or his t-shirt off, put it on his head, did not move from that spot to watch you guys play. Oh, wow, man. Yeah. Yeah, so, kids were wild. You guys broke a lot of gear. It did. It did. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Mic drop. End of sentence. Well, it's like people think we, like people think I have this massive collection of gear and I'm like, I mean, I have a bunch of broken gear, but. <laughs> Did you ever Frankenstein guitars after you're oh, like yeah. breaking necks? You just throwing necks on bodies and going? Yeah, yeah. I Frankenstein guitars all the time. And I would not only Frankenstein guitars, I would have to sometimes go to a guitar store on the way to the next show and ask for the cheapest used piece of shit they have just to be able to play the next show. Um, and it usually had like Ocean Pacific stickers on or something, you know what I mean? Yes. Like something, some kid, you know, gotcha <laughs> stickers. Something some kid thought playing guitar was going to be easy. And then he's like, no, it's not. And just sold it back to the store. <laughs> That's what I played for like the first couple of years of Dillinger, basically. Because I break every guitar and be like, damn it. At the end, I'd be like, why did I do that? You know, like. Well, so, sometimes it was accidental and sometimes it was intentional. Right. At the end of a show, you got, sometimes you guys would get so wound up, shit would go flying. Yeah. Yeah, there was some moments, man. I some of which I wasn't proud of, some of which I was. Yeah. For so sure. since I since think Greg we, uh, could say the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> since we since we changed the, the topic to guitars, I don't want to skip ahead too much. I obviously you're saying you've had lots of guitars. The the question that I had uh leading up into this when I was just looking at stuff again. Your ESP, uh, from my experience with Dillinger, just what I remember seeing you play like, uh -huh. how did a semi-hollow become your signature model for ESP? Well, I'll answer you that question. Um, well, for one, they had a semi-hollow guitar. It was a bolt-on, kind of traditional, more like jazzy guitar, and I had gotten one from them. And... <clears throat> I loved how it played and I loved how it sounded. Um, and it was lighter, you know, and everything than these guitars I was throwing around. But, you know, it wasn't the right guitar to play live and it wasn't as versatile. Um, but it did sound great, heavy. It sounded, it just had a, something about it that added body that you didn't get from the solid body ESP that I was playing. Yeah. And so when it was time for me to create my own guitar, um, knowing I was going to be using this, this thing called the Evertune, which is uh, this, which is why I wanted I think, to bring it up as well, right? Which is one of the, I think, most important advances in instruments in the last thirty years, at least. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's 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 a genius mechanism. Um, you know, we James, you, you can probably speak. We can all speak to like input. James, you know, working in the music stores and like seeing, there was all these 
bullshit things that would tune your guitar for you and had a had a battery in it and would kind of turn it or like they, they, people tried it forever. Yeah, it was so ridiculous, you know. Remember the Jimmy Page uh, Les Paul that had mm-hmm. the, the the button? You hit the button and uh-huh. it put it into never really put it. Into never it. works. Yeah, but this guy Cosmo figured out how to uh, have a spring loaded mechanism that would remember the tension of each string, which is essentially the tuning of the string. Yep. And just adjust accordingly, no matter what happened to the guitar, and keep it in tune. Amazing. And when I, I got one a guitar with this. ESP was the first company to really start using this. That you can get one with it. And I got a prototype, and I happened to be recording an album. It was a Viper, actually, and um, it had I had it in the studio, tuned it up, had to get used to kind of making it work, making the bending work where I wanted it. But then what you could do is is adjust each string to either bend or not bend. So when you, when you, by pitch, so you could bend the string and it would stay perfectly in key. It wouldn't go out. Um, so what I would do is I'd make my low E that so I can hit really hard and not go sharp. And the rest I'd have bend so I can solo. And I was in the studio. We used to have to tune flat because I'd hit so hard, I'd pick so hard that I would pull it sharp all the time. Right. So that that um, took care of that. Um, so I could just literally beat the shit out of the guitar in the studio, get the aggression, get the feeling of live, but it stayed perfectly in tune. Um, tuning was something that took a lot of time in the studio because you have to constantly check your tuning, check your tuning, check your tuning. Every time we checked, there was no need to check. We just stopped eventually. And then I had a show in the sen- in the middle of our recording. We were playing some festival in LA and we just, I threw the guitar in the back. It didn't have a case. I threw the guitar in the back of the car and drove the rental car to the show, took it out, checked it. It was in tune, played the show, played the show, put it back in the car, went back, checked the tuning. It was in tune and recorded a riff. That's awesome. It's amazing. Dude, you know what? We're going like, to have to okay. get this episode over to Mark Finn so that uh, so that ESP can, can get all yeah, the problems. Well, well, what I knew, well, to get back to answering your question, when I knew I was going to put that in my guitar, I, I, I throw my guitar around so much. I have so much injuries in my neck and show I, I have a broken vertebrae. I had rotator custer. Like guitars are, have been beat, beat the hell out of me for many, many years. That Evertune is a piece of steel that takes up a large portion of the body of that guitar that goes in there. And it's very heavy. So I tried a few things. And so the combination of having half the guitar wood, the center of the guitar steel, but then the rest hollow to make up for the weight, just happened to make a tone that was just the combination of all that. I mean, it was practical. It took a little weight off, but like the combination of those elements together was magic. Perfect. It was magic. Like it just sounds amazing. It's, and, and I love it because, and it looks like a cool guitar. Everyone has one of those kind of like Ibanez style signatures. Like who needs another one? Yeah. I want something that people will just say, I want to use this, whatever genre you're in. Like this is a cool guitar. So, and it has the full, um, it has like the long neck. It has the long neck, the fret scales for metal. So you can go high up. It's not like the typical jazz hollow body guitar. It's got all the cutaways it's got the volume knob farther away so you can beat the guitar and play and it doesn't turn your volume on and off which was a problem i had now, i just did awesome. everything that i need I, I just made the guitar i needed and it happened to be a guitar that people like really love and give great reviews yeah um, I, that's i've always wanted one uh i've never got my hands on one but that i had to ask just because it was one of these things that to, i look at it and I see a bunch of things as an older guy <laughs> that I love about it, yeah. uh, including the fact that, oh, that's probably going to be a weight that I enjoy a little more than some of my yeah. other guitars. Right. Just everything about it just looks phenomenal. And having the Evertune, uh, we've spoken about it before on another episode. Um, well, yeah, Billy, I mean, Billy, Billy Biohazard yeah. was talking about it as well. Same thing. Yeah. Huge proponent. Um, everyone I've heard that touches them absolutely loves them. Uh, I can't wait to actually try one. Yeah, I mean, I think they, I don't know if they have it yet, but I know he was working on a bass one. Oh, nice. And um, and I was like, man, I mean, it would be, I would love if he made 
um, uh, uh, drum lugs with that technology in it so that the drum head, it's just tension. It's the same thing. So if yeah. every, so once you tuned it, it would just judge the tension, no matter how much you beat that drum, it stayed in tune. Perfect. Whether, you know, no matter how old the head got or how beaten, it would just adjust just like the strings. And because, you know, we all know that like not many people can tune their drums, mm -hmm. but a tuned drum set, you can't beat it. You know, no. <laughs> like a well-tuned drum set is like, it's just, it's butter, you know? Absolutely. So again, that kind of proves you, you went at everything and designing that guitar, you went at it intentionally. Mm -hmm. And then the end result ended up being perfection, which doesn't always happen. Yeah. And I didn't did. go at it being a guitar guy, like a gear right. guy. I went at it as like, just, this is what I need. This is what is practical as someone who's been playing live for 20 years now. You know, that's awesome. It's only missing one thing. The one thing that you always wanted to have as a component of a guitar. What? The wireless. Oh, but the prototypes had it. The prototypes had yeah. it. <laughs> the prototypes had it. It, had a, it was routed out in the back. And, but I had to use like those Samson ones because they were like the little, little the micro ones. That's yeah. how they, they, those were the ones that fit in there. And it had an input jack in the guitar and the input jack in the normal spot. It had two. So you yep. could either just use a cable or you could use the uh, the wireless. But when I was using those, people were like, the hell, he doesn't even plug in. He's playing the tracks, you know, because you couldn't see any wire. It was nothing, you know. The cigarette pack wireless? It was in the, right. But no, it was all in the guitar. Yeah. And I always thought it was an amazing idea. And uh, so I guess you weren't able to get ESP. Well, and I, I, whoever it was you were just they didn't want to partner with a, with a wireless company to do it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you can't route the guitar out to fit every pack. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it had to be a specific company that would, you know, pair up and partner and make it happen. I do have a patent pending on it, I think. But uh, yes. Yeah. But One I mean, day. I will tell you that. 90 percent of my problems on stage ended when that thing was in my guitar because i would break those cables sammy i mean i would jump in the crowd someone would rip it like either when i used a cable it would break because it would get tangled or the input jack would break or when it was a wireless it would get tangled or ripped out or same thing only more expensive you know <laughs> and so yeah. once i had that thing in my guitar i could do it i could throw myself against a wall and nothing would happen i could jump into the crowd i could whatever you know back i could throw my guitar across the room and it didn't cut out i and i always love the uh the, you know dan started with it i'll end with it the the semi-hollow aspect of that guitar because a lot it. of people don't realize i mean and if you listen to dillinger and you're any sort of musician you can tell there's a shitload of jazz influence in what you guys do um, but being a jazz guitarist, which is what you are at your core, um, you know, semi-hollows are, you know, that that's standard. That's comfort. Yeah. And I think that's why your ear, you know, kind of dialed into that to that semi-hollow. Yeah, there's definitely that that clean tone and that mid-gain tone with the semi-hollow is something I, I've always been attracted yeah. to. And yeah. that was the other thing about the guitar. The, those pickups aren't very hot either. No. Well, it's got the Fishmans. It started with the EMGs, but right. now it comes with the Fishmans, which are kind of a nice, happy medium. Yeah. So we, 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 I think we're getting towards like an, a little over an hour here. We don't want to take up too much more of your time. So maybe we'll hit you with a little bit of uh, rapid fire, some fun questions that we, okay. we always like to ask. And um, one is, what is the coolest guitar you have ever played? Could be a famous person's guitar that you got your hands on. Could be. Well, just this super is easy. Rare. Okay, go for it. I was at Schechter. I played Prince's guitar. What? Which one? One of those, the purple one <laughs> that was in that shape, you know, whatever. The, there the were two artist of his. Known as the shape. artist formerly known shape. Wow. There were two that were actually his that he played, and I, I jammed on it. So that was cool. wow. Yeah, obviously, that's the coolest. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of a hands down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Awesome. <laughs> okay. So what is, is there a, is there a piece of gear, guitar, head, something that you always wanted that you never managed to get your hands on? Like a dream piece that you just has always eluded you. Doesn't have to be expensive or crazy. It could just be something you always wanted that you just couldn't. You know what? Attain. And this is odd because every they're easy to get and you know they're not considered really rare, but a really, really good twin reverb, fender twin reverb. That's a huge one. That I, I always wanted it and I just never got it. And like one of the best guitar tones I've heard was just a twin reverb with a stomp pedal in front of it. Oh, it's it's a classic sound. Yeah. Classic sound. Louder than shit, you know, and just intentional and that's it. So what what is the one that got away? What what was the one piece of gear you had that you wished you never got rid of? Oh because I never sold gear, I just broke it. <laughs> so what's the one I was that, never you like, that you broke and wished you didn't break? Well, it, it it was that first guitar amp I had. I I um I tried to like take it apart and learn how to do learn about it, and I just destroyed it. And I somehow lost the reverb unit in the back, and it all the knobs got messed up, and it got corro everything got corroded, and I kept it, but it was destroyed, and um. I, I, I had always wished I never destroyed it. And just recently I had it like totally um, repaired and, and uh, you know, restored. And I found, I found the reverb unit online and, and it's back to pretty back to normal now. That's That's awesome. great that you got it back together. Yeah. So that just happened. The one that got away came back. I got it back. Yeah. That's awesome. What about, uh, just cause I have to, I have to ask this one with you. I, I, I usually finish up with a different question, uh, which I'll get to, but this one, was there a piece of gear, just because I know you've had a ton of shit mm -hmm. that you've used, broken, mm -hmm. uh, something you wished you never got? <laughs> the triaxis. Wow. I did not expect that. Interesting. Wow. Is yeah. there a particular reason or you just didn't yeah, feel it? Yeah, because or? I only needed like two channel, like two presets. And it was so complex. There were so many ins and outs and... Yeah in the back of that thing and, and so many options and Option I forced paralysis. myself, absolutely. I forced myself to try and make it work for so long. And I was just, I'm just not the guy to have all that. Like, I'm not the guy to move around gear that has to be connected all over the place because I, I just, I, I was just a mess. I was throwing shit in the back of a, of a van that was probably, you know, driving like an asshole or, bouncing around we were throwing shit into a gear climbing it up or pulling it up 10 flights of stairs to play in some dump like kicking it over jumping on it and then you know oh it doesn't make sound of course it doesn't make sound there's like a thousand wires in the back you know like and i wanted i liked it so i wanted it to i, I kept it so long trying to man it was like as soon as i just got ahead my life was so much easier yeah should have done it so much sooner yeah so what is and again, this doesn't have to be a vintage piece or a really expensive piece. What is your prized possession gear wise? Man, I mean, honestly, like I love my signature guitar. That it, I love my signature guitar, man. I just, and I have one that just plays great and I didn't destroy it live. And like, honestly, I just always fall back on that. You know? That That's that great. Not to plug my own. Not to plug my own, you know, thing, but I have very expensive guitars, a few very expensive guitars, like a Framus and a big, crazy, expensive, like Yamaha electric. And, you know, I have a lot of ESPs and stuff, but that, uh, my signature is just like, the, it's the, for me, it's the perfect guitar. It's just like the go-to perfect guitar for me. Well, it's it awesome. Works. It sounds amazing. And it's, it's elegant. It's a really good looking, you know, guitar. Yeah, I have to say. Thank right? you. It should be attractive. Yeah, that was important. Like I said, everybody has that that Strat or like Ibanez body guitar. It's like nobody needs another one of those. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We James and I have always, uh, one of the things that we connected on pretty early on was we, we both have been fond of uh, a lot of the odd guitars. Uh, 
not not crazy odd like Japanese Tiesco's and weird shapes and all like but just stuff that's different uh I was always a proponent of uh I always love semi hollows even if I had to tape up the f-holes just so it didn't Um, feed back or something just so it didn't feed back uh I had a I had a bunch of them early on an area pro two uh Japanese one that I absolutely loved um and got rid of but yeah I I love your that, that semi hollow with those zebra it's like the zebra, the yeah, it's like the, the charcoal, right? It's like the see through, the charcoal, kinda, translucent yeah. charcoal yeah, with like the gray bursts with the zebra pickup. Beautiful, beautiful guitar. Thank you. Thank um, so this is my last question is always the mm-hmm. same, and unfortunately, this one I'll I probably could answer it for you at this point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it would be your desert island gear. You had three things, you know, guitar amp, cabinet, guitar amp, pickups, what guitar amp, uh, pedal, whatever it would be. What would your uh, what would your desert island setup be um my signature guitar um that old boss reverb digital that reverb uh, delay combo pedal yeah dd's uh rd7 rd7 yeah. in, in marciano yes exactly it, yeah they, they stopped making that right they just yeah yep. separated it but that was so cool it just you know as if for a simple thing that can cover everything you're playing clean you want some nice warmth you want some little delay you want to do a lead yep that was a good versatile pedal um and simple had like 12 different settings or 10 different settings on yeah it. it was it had a lot but it was simple at the same time yeah now you get these things you have a million loopers and this and that and they're cool but like if i was on a desert island it would be that and um well shit, do i have electricity <laughs> you know, I mean, going practical. Last, with I it. might change my answer. Our last guest talked about, well, I'm going to use this because it's battery operated, right? You, yeah, you can a little roll that little Roland, that little Roland uh, stereo Roland thing. Yeah, exactly. whatever you need is on the island. Just no phone. You can't That's get it. off the island. That's it. That little stereo Roland, like portable <laughs> amp, a cable, that pedal, and my signature. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Perfect <Battery>. setup. <laughs> Dude, thanks so much, man. I, I love you. I miss you. It's I you can't too, believe it's been like almost two years since I've seen you face to face. A lot of people uh, <laughs> like haven't seen each other in a long time. That'll be uh that'll be soon. I promise. We'll cool, man. Good to see both of you. Good luck and uh we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks for thanks, thanks guys. for being on. Thanks for having me.